This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is supported by Trustonomy, an original podcast from One Trust. Every good relationship you have, personal or business, it involves trust. But we all know that trust doesn't just happen, right? We've all lost trust in a friend or a brand or a product. Trustonomy is a new podcast that looks at true stories from the past to understand how trust works and what makes it stronger and how to rebuild it when it's broken. Now, you know, I'm a sucker for a good podcast that weaves historical stories and relates it to what's happening today. So I thoroughly enjoyed this Trustonomy episode and recommend that you check that out as well. Search for Trustonomy in your podcast player. We'll also include a link in the show notes. Many thanks to the One Trust team for their support. As artificial intelligence continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation that we can't ignore AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. With over 750 specialized hackers in their community, HackerOne isn't just theorizing. They're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large organization, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI dash safety dash security again HackerOne.com slash AI dash safety dash security. So, Mike, we actually owe a lot to the company we're going to cover today. Oh, yeah? Why is that? Because they pioneered audio on the internet. In fact, their first device, the internet-ready audio player known as the Mobile Player, which was released in 1997, is now in the Smithsonian. I bet you're talking about Audible, aren't you? That's that's four years before the first iPod, by the way. Yeah, exactly. So way before they sold audiobooks, they made the precursor device to the iPod. Donald Katz founded the company back in 1995 with the vision to be the leader in teaching the internet to talk. But this vision quickly expanded. Here's actually Donald from a CNBC interview. So the allure of using audio is, is an explosive thing, but the, our companies has been soaring Frankly, since we invented the first digital digital audio player and commercialized it in in 1997, so uh, you know there is kind of a division in that world of what these things are. But we're really mostly about profound levels of storytelling, uh, and that addicts 
huge numbers of people around the world, and it's it's an amazing thing that this idea I had a long time ago is uh, tens of millions of people listening. Nah. Well, Audible's been an incredible success, and I've been aware of them for a long time. My first job right out of business school is working for a digital audiobook company. Oh, wow. Um, I, I know, though, that they haven't necessarily gotten everything right. Right. Of course, you don't end up featured on our series about product failures without making a couple of mistakes along the way. So we're going to dive into their story behind Audible's UI update that coincided with Apple's iOS 7 release and the blind spots they had when designing and developing it. Well, let's get right into it. Welcome to Rocketship.fm. Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective. We are your hosts, Michael Saka. And I'm Mike Belsito. So first, let's catch up on a little Audible history. Audible was founded in 1995, and in 1997, as we discussed, released their first Audible device, the mobile player. Yeah, and they were well-funded from the beginning, as Donald Katz was coming off a really successful career as a journalist, publishing well-received books about Sears Roebuck Company and even Nike. Yeah, in fact, just before he founded Audible, he had received a $400,000 advance from Random House for a book on the information superhighway. And the research for this book, it's actually where he got the inspiration for Audible, as he saw the landscape of the internet maturing. It was talking about this time that he famously told the New York Times, we want to be a leader in teaching the internet to talk. Audible then went public in 1999, and through that, they developed an important new strategic partner in Amazon.com, who quickly acquired a 5% holding for around $20 million. But in the early 2000s, Audible struggled to find its place in the market. It even ended up partnering with Random House for a while to create original audio content through a partnership known as Random House Audible. After the dot-com bubble crash, the, the company was hit hard. Microsoft, as they, they reached the bottom, bought up $10 million of the company's preferred stock in 2001, and that actually allowed Audible to stay in business. And amid growing losses, the company soon cut over 40% of its staff, including their CEO, Thomas Baxter. And he didn't just stay jobless, right? He went on to become the CEO of, I think it was Time Warner Cable? Oh, yeah, he was fine. <laughs> and then... <laughs> Interestingly enough, as we talked about last week, after September 11th, 2001, Audible's website went down for more than a week after its New York City server lost power. Yeah, the early 2000s definitely were not kind to them. No, it was a it was a rough ride until right around 2002 when things started to turn around. And was this the advent of the iPhone? I'm trying to think back here. Yes, exactly. So it was actually the, the introduction of the iPod in late 2002. And that finally provided the means to connect Audible's content with a really large audience. So Audible soon worked out an exclusive deal with Apple to offer over 6,000 of its downloads to the iTunes Music Store. So the iPod is actually an incredibly important milestone in this company's history. I mean, this helped establish them as the leader in the audiobook space. Absolutely. And then in 2008, Audible was acquired by Amazon for over $300 million in mostly cash. Yeah. So now Audible sits pretty comfortably within Amazon's umbrella and continues to grow its influence within the iOS app store. And this brings us to 2013 and the release of iOS 7. I'm Jefferson Graham. And I'm Ed Bagg. And we are here at the Developers Conference where if you've got an iPhone, iPad, or iPod Touch, your device is going to look a lot different in the fall. Yeah, and I think it'll look a lot nicer, too. 
beautiful new design, these layers, and, and it's very smooth looking. And it reflects, of course, the changes made by Johnny Ive, longtime famed Apple designer. He was mostly on the hardware side through some shakeup earlier this year or last year. Uh, move to controlling the software. Yeah, I, I found the uh, the new look really exciting. I'm I, I'm lo I'm looking forward to using it. It just it's more user friendly. It, we all know that when we want to put on the uh, the Wi-Fi or airplane mode, you've got to swipe a few times and go to system settings. Now it's all built into the home screen. And iOS seven was the release where Apple moved on from the skeuomorphic design and embraced uh, the flat UI. Right. We should probably explain here what skeuomorphic design is. Yeah, please do. <laughs> I, 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 now. I'm not a designer, but I, I'll share what I know. Um, and that's the simplest definition, which I guess is that it's a design that references and uses real work elements and textures to make up the user interface. Is that my right with that, Michael? Exactly. So some people might remember the Notes app, and it used to look exactly like a yellow legal pad, complete with the binding on the top where we'd rip the paper off. Mm -hmm. That's schoolmorphic design. Yes. And then flat design was, well, the complete opposite, right? No recognizable real world elements. Everything had this flat color scheme. Buttons didn't have a bezel or emboss on them. Right. So Audible and honestly, many other apps who were trying to keep up with this new look, they needed to quickly redesign and relaunch their apps, shifting from skeuomorphism into a material flat design. And this is where the story really begins today, which we will explore after a quick word from our sponsors. So Allison Go was the product manager in charge of the Audible redesign at the time. So we wanted to um, be modern, right? Yeah. We wanted to update the app so it matched that um, look and feel. Part of the thinking was like, you know, if you have an old, crusty looking app, um, people won't want to use it, like right. won't trust it even. And actually like, you know, what's really interesting is if you want to recruit people to work on your product, like engineers, like they don't, they're going to look at this thing. It has like all the drop shadows or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And they're, and they're like, what is this thing? Like, I don't want to work on this. <laughs> so there's a little bit of that. And so we, we went through this exercise of modernizing the app, right? Or modernizing the look and feel. We didn't really change that much of it, like the functionality. It seems innocent enough. Completely. Uh, we've all been guilty of a, a couple indulgent UI redesigns, but this one actually had a purpose. This was a major update for Apple, and Audible being an incredibly popular app, Amazon didn't want to be seen as falling behind. So how bad of a mistake could it have been? We we took the, the app was like white and had like, like a gray kind of gradient to it, which was like super like pre-iOS 7 or whatever um, version okay. um, this this change happened on. Um, but it was like white and gray. So what we, what we did was like, okay, we're going to do like a white background and no more gradients. And it's going to be like white and like very clean looking, very okay. modern. Um, we launched it. And this is also um, when, you know, Apple doesn't allow you to do, um, you, you couldn't do phased releases. And so we, we made it, it's like, we were like, that's so beautiful, people are gonna love it. And turns out when you have like a white app, that's like really, really, really awful at night. Okay. So you have to think about some of the popular use cases of Audible. Turns out people use Audible at night a lot, you know, and not only that, they you know, use it before they go to bed. Um, but the thing that, I, that really killed me was um, one, one part of our like customer base or audience are like people who like long haul truckers, okay. um, which makes sense. Yeah. A lot of long haul truckers in yeah. Texas. Um, yeah. And they end up driving through the night and they have their Audible app. And then it's like a beacon 
like <laughs> screaming at them from their mount, and it's like literally dangerous. It's dangerous for them because it's so bright, wow. yeah. and they can they dim it to the very lowest level, um, but it still doesn't help. It's too bright, okay. and so these were just use cases that you know me as a city dweller who uses it on the subway, like didn't even notice that it would be bright. Yeah, I wouldn't have seen that coming either. Right, the entire team's living in New York City. I doubt any of them drove much at all, let alone overnight in pitch dark streets. Um, so this is like my universe of how I use, use um, Audible and use audiobooks. And so like none of us picked up on this use case, okay. right? Um, and so no one spoke up and was like, hey, there's these people who might use it in this way. And so we put out this product, not or this change, not thinking about all these people. So I think yeah. the this comes back, to, like, seems like I'm a huge um, proponent of user research, but I really am, right? Because yeah. um, if we had a much stronger sense of who the user was and really understood their use cases fully, I feel like we could have caught this much earlier. So how they fixed this and what they learned right after the break. So before the break, we were discussing the mistakes that Audible's team made when releasing its update to coincide with Apple iOS 7 release. And now we need to answer the question, how did they fix it? What we ended up doing, like once we um, had, we, we made a night mode um, to, as a, like a fix. Yeah. And so we, to test night mode, we actually like blocked out like rooms and made them like pitch black to like test if they were too bright. It's really funny. Um, but it was like, you know, like that, that was so avoidable if we really truly understood the various use cases of Audible. And that was, that was on me, you know, not, not really digging into that and just having a fairly myopic view of who our, who our user is. Right, um, right. And like, yeah, I know about our truckers. I know that that's a, a core audience for us. But then like, I didn't like, yeah, I didn't really understand it at the depth where I'm like, but long haul, and, and they drive it. No, I don't have a car. Like, right. I don't even think right. about no, driving at night, you know? You're right, it's, right. It's bad. And so that's, that, this is the case for like diversity. It's the case yeah. for having a team that like can speak up and say, hey, like um, I use this at night, it was really bright. Like maybe you should consider that. Um, and so like building that culture and like really pushing people to speak up is also important. So like understanding your user, and many of those people are gonna be working with you, which is yeah. awesome. Um, so he, being able to hear those voices, but as well as the voices out there that maybe you don't have a lot of visibility in on your day to day. That is such a good lesson. Yeah, it's really important, especially the diversity and inclusion lesson here. Working on a product that's deployed to millions and millions of users, you're going to have a wide range of use cases and use environments as they learned. Yeah, and as a product person, having a variety of perspectives and lived experiences on your team those are your secret weapons. You have to use those. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, this is one of the stories I, I come back to often. And so a huge thanks to Allison Goh, who's currently the head of growth at Chalkbeat, a nonprofit covering education and communities across America, which it's, it's a fantastic initiative. So if you haven't checked them out and you care about local journalism, it's worth your time. Yeah, definitely check them out. And Allison's awesome too. She's spoken at industry in the past, our conference, and she's a super smart product person, one of the people that I look up to for sure. So absolutely. next week, we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, this video rental company that you know maybe some of our listeners might be familiar with. 
Is it Quickster? Uh, no, that would have been a good one. Uh, but I'm talking about Blockbuster Video and its failed attempt to move into the world of online streaming. Oh, nice. I'm looking forward to that. So we'll be back here next week, same time, same podcast app for another episode of Rocketship FM Product Failures. Thank you so much for listening to Rocketship.fm. It's your support that keeps the show going. Rocketship.fm is now part of the Podglomerate Network. If you want to learn more about the other shows on the Podglomerate Network, go to thepodglomerate.com. Rocketship.fm is produced in partnership with Product Collective, a community for product people. If you go to productcollective.com, you could check out live video interviews, sign up for our newsletter, be a part of our Slack group with over 6,000 product people. Just check it out at productcollective.com.